Before we begin with today's episode, we wanted to put out a content warning for you all that today's episode covering season one of Lore Olympus will be discussing potentially triggering topics like abusive behavior, sexual trauma, and toxic relationships. Please listen at your own discretion. Hello, and welcome to the Webtoon Room. I'm Will. And I'm Crudy. And today, we're here to talk about Lore Olympus. Season 1. Yes. This one's going to be a doozy, because there's so much to cover. Lore Olympus is such an expansive world. So before we get started, we just want to warn everyone ahead of time that there will be spoilers. If you have not read Lore Olympus yet, if you've not completed Season 1, there will be spoilers throughout. So just putting it out there ahead of time before you proceed with the rest of the episode. And now that we've got that out of the way, let's get into it. So Lore Olympus is, to me, at the core of it, a story between Hades and Persephone. Their relationship is at the center of the story, and it is the most important relationship. Yeah, every other character seems to revolve around Persephone and Hades. Their relationship is really the core of this story, and a lot of the other characters' stories revolve around them. Mm -hmm. I think I'd agree with that. So let's talk a little bit about their relationship and all of the different components about it. I think, for me, one of my favorite things about their relationship is just, regardless of whatever status it is, if if they're just friends or if they're delving into their attraction or, you know, whatever it may be in the future, one of my favorite things will always be their openness and their honesty and their just their communication with each other as a couple. Yes, they go out of their way to communicate clearly and honestly as much as they can in any given moment and it gives them a sense of trust between the two of them that helps further cement their almost inseparable bond they feel for another yeah i love how simple it is between the two of them because it never feels like they're putting an effort when they're being around each other it all feels very natural and organic and beautiful they just fit together so well I don't really believe in soulmates, especially in like romance stories. You have to be very careful when it comes to the concept of a soulmate and someone being fated to be with someone. But Hades and Persephone just give this feeling of of belonging together. They feel most natural with each other and it just makes the most sense for them to be together and not with anyone else. Mm -hmm. It definitely feels like they're two pieces that are meant to be together. Absolutely. They fit in with each other. Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of that is punctuated, you know, as we, we were talking about their communication, but I think it's also important to go into just the foundation of respect that they have for each other. I think that's something that Persephone gets into when she is talking about why she has a crush on him, or she's just talking about her crush on him because it's nice to have a crush on somebody, and this is the first time that she's talking about it out loud, uh, and it's to Eris and Artemis, and she's saying he was the first person to offer her respect, and he didn't do it out of a sense of obligation. He just gave that to her. That was inherent in his interactions and his behavior and feelings towards her, 
and that's a lovely thing and she shows him respect and appreciation for the same reason it's not out of a sense of obligation where it's like the king of the underworld it speaks to a core quality in how they treat each other which is as beings as hades as persephone irrespective of their other titles or the other trappings that kind of surround them they recognize each other's core being i would say like humanity but they're not humans they're gods so but i think that that to me is one of the most meaningful things about their relationship and how and why it is so healthy hades feels a little strange about the age gap between them but the webtoon does a good job of not letting their status or age kind of get in the way of their relationship yeah, I would say so, and I think that speaks to my earlier point that I was making, where they treat each other as equals, there's respect, there's care, there's so much, so much care, and consideration for the other person in their interactions, and there is a significant age gap, but Rachel does a really incredible job making a very compelling, very ironclad case for why the two of them belong together. And they've got so much chemistry as well. Their chemistry is flying off the page. Totally. And I love when a webtoon can do this, like cultivate such sizzling chemistry that you can almost feel it off the pages. And nothing exemplifies that better than Hades and Persephone. And chemistry, not just from like a sensual kind of sexual way, but it's more just the chemistry of their back and forth, their banter together, how they just are. Although, of course, they have great chemistry in that direction as well. That kiss is wonderful. But they approach their interactions and that kiss with unabashed enthusiasm, which is what I love. They want each other badly, and they just love being around each other. And I love seeing a couple that loves to be together. Me too. There are many webtoons out there that have stories where one person is pursuing the other and the other one doesn't want it, and they eventually turn around. No, no, no. From the very beginning, they feel a very, very innate, intimate connection, and it goes from there. Yeah, I would agree with you as well. I just love when two people like each other, and it's without reservations, and it just feels like more of an equal relationship. Both of them want to be there, and that's a wonderful thing. To me, that's a fixture of a mature relationship. Yeah, Hades and Persephone demonstrate their maturity, and how they choose to establish boundaries with each other. Not just boundaries of don't text each other between ungodly hours of the night, but also they follow up that discussion, and they continue to discuss boundaries. It's not a set-and-forget affair. They continue to have a open and honest conversation. Absolutely. That is definitely one of my favorite parts about this couple, because they don't have a straight, linear road to being together. There are twists and turns that happen. Hades is not single exactly when he meets her. He has his own kind of relationship with Minthi to wrap up, which we'll get into. And Persephone has a ton of things, so many things on her plate. She, uh, you know, we'll get into all of them, but she is at the outset of the webtoon. She is in TGOEM, which means that she has to be a virgin. So there are all these different factors at play that go into their relationship with each other and how they have to navigate it. And it does necessitate, as you said, these discussions of boundaries that they both have. 
And it's meaningful that they have these discussions, that they talk about their boundaries, because I think that's such a healthy example to set for younger people who are reading this webtoon. I think it's so healthy because there is nothing more loving you could do for yourself than to set boundaries for yourself, for the people around you, that would create an environment where you would feel optimally cared for, that you feel comfortable in. And I love that Persephone and Hades demonstrate this for each other, for themselves, and I think that's such a good example. And it also speaks to how safe and comfortable Persephone and Hades feel with each other, because I don't think this is a conversation Hades would have felt like he could have with Minthy. No, no, he couldn't. No, but Persephone, he knows that she's going to hear him. She knows he's going to hear her. And, you know, not like Apollo did, but <laughs> we'll get into him. <laughs> he's a whole other... Piece of work. Oh, yeah. I was going to use another phrase, but piece of work is, is, is a very diplomatic one. But yes, so, I mean, just kind of... To sum it up, I, I just, I love that example of healthy boundary setting. Part of what prompts this boundary setting is their newly found work relationship that happens pretty early on in season one. And that's where they navigate a lot of the twists and turns and some of the drama of season one, especially with Hades and Minthy being together officially and with Persephone starting her internship at the Underworld. Yeah, actually, that was something I wanted to ask, because their relationship also has a work component now, and it's something that I think we touched on with Sam and Charles in our Let's Play episode, but work relationships just generally complicate personal ones. If you choose to embark on a personal relationship with someone who you also interact with at work, it's just going to add complications. So what kinds of complications does this add to Hades and Persephone's relationship, or even does it complicate it very much? Because she has not had too many days at work. I think she had her first day, maybe her second day in season one. Yeah, even though Persephone hasn't been working there very long, she still gets enmeshed with Hades into situations that they have to discuss whether or not if they're work appropriate. Right. I think that's part of it. I would argue it's actually not as big of a component of their relationship as all of these other factors are, especially Minthy, which we're definitely going to get into after we wrap this one up. So my final takeaway is that it does affect their relationship, but not in a significant way. They don't seem to behave too differently than they would if they did not share that work relationship. Because Hades doesn't seem to have reservations about taking her to the bank to help her open a bank account or, you know, other things. So I think there are more significant factors at play. Yeah. What are some of these significant factors? I mean, Minthy for one. We should just get into her. <laughs> we should get into Minthy. <laughs> Minthy makes everything more complicated. She not only is dating Hades this entire time, or at least in the start of it, she also goes out of her way to mess with Persephone or to try and trip her up. Yeah, there are the direct ways that Minthy interferes in their relationship, and there are indirect effects. Because Minthy definitely, especially some of the office scenes that we saw where Minthy was kind of laying claim to her man, and 
doing some psychological warfare on Persephone. So we have those scenes, but then there are the scenes where meeting Minthy and knowing that Hades is someone else's and the way that affects Persephone's thought process and the way she thinks about Hades and her feelings. I think there's a like a two-pronged effect that happens. Yeah, and Hades' this entire time is sort of questioning his relationship with Persephone due to him being official with Minthy at this point. And he has doubts about his relationship with, with Persephone because of his official status with Minthy. And it takes time for him to figure out what he wants to do. And as more time passes, it becomes more and more apparent that he and Minthy should not be together. Yeah, I think that Hades' relationship with Minthy gives him a lot of perspective on his relationship with Persephone, which I think, same goes for Persephone, Minthy gives her a lot of perspective on her feelings for Hades, because when you're in the beginning of something with anybody, it can be so nebulous sometimes with the feelings and what are we, how do I feel about this person, and having a third person in the mix can offer that perspective. For Persephone, seeing Minthy with Hades, it let her know how she felt about Hades, which is that she really likes him. She has a crush on him, and she feels guilty because she knows he's with someone else. The beginning of the webtoon starts with Hades and Minthy's dating, but they're not official. Hades knows he has an interest in and an attraction to Persephone, you know, for his own reasons, which we'll get into, more of his psyche and throughout the webtoon. He pursues an official relationship. He decides to give it one last go with Minthy, which makes sense, and I think it was ultimately a positive thing because he did feel a tie to Minthy and he wanted to see could this be something we as the readers know it cannot but I think for him and the journey he was on he needed to figure that out and his time with Minthy like you said it helped him realize okay this is not what is good for me this is not what is right for me yeah I agree let's talk about Persephone she comes into the story a little fresh-eyed, a little naive, and that has a lot to do with her sheltered upbringing and her very, very restrictive parent right? Demeter. Demeter. Yeah, Persephone really hasn't seen too much of the world. She is very intelligent and very mature, but she is not worldly, and Olympus is pretty much her first foray away from home, away from her mother. She's living at Artemis's place, and in the timeline of the webtoon so far, she's only been there for about three weeks. Yeah, she moves into Artemis's place, a member of the Goddesses of Eternal Maidenhood, which Persephone is a prospective member of. She is in training, essentially, to become a member. And this comes into conflict with a very real event that happens to her. Right. So Persephone is staying with Artemis and... Apollo is Artemis's twin. He visits the apartment despite the hypocritical no boys allowed rule, which is ridiculous utterly, and Artemis does not seem to follow it, which Persephone rightfully calls her out on. But anyway, Apollo visits the apartment. He takes a liking to Persephone. This part is hard to describe and talk about, but... I don't think there's any other way to say it, but... He rapes her. Yes. He... It's a late night. They are all 
I think, watching a movie or something like that, and Persephone goes into her room, Apollo kind of waits for a bit, he follows her there, and to use Eros's words, he kind of nags her into, in his view, having sex with him. And it's a very disorienting experience for her that whole night. She carries a lot of trauma from it that she has to deal with throughout the webtoon after this point, and immediately afterwards she calls Hades, which is kind of her way of unconsciously seeking a safe place. After this very disorienting, traumatic experience happens to her, she doesn't quite even know what happened. She questions her own experience as well, which is very realistic for any victims of, of trauma, especially any sort of, you know, sexual assault. Yeah, it isn't until she has a conversation with Eros that she really starts to understand what happened to her. I think it's a combination of finally having that out in the open and having that conversation with someone who is unconditionally loving and caring for her and who helps affirm that what happened was not her fault. You know, the first words that she says to him are, Eros, I messed up. And he says, you didn't mess up, Apollo did. Yeah. You can't just nag someone into having sex with you. That's not how consent works. And it is absolutely true. It is not how consent works. You need enthusiastic participation from both people. Mm -hmm. And what I love most about that conversation, which, by the way, the whole entirety of episode 66, when this conversation happens between Eros and Persephone, it is all masterfully done. It is is so respectful. It is very affirming and wonderful for Persephone in a lot of ways. She gets a lot of, you know, care and comfort from Eros, who is another safe space for her. He's a true friend. And what I love most, in addition to all of that, is the way that Persephone is able to communicate to Eros and the way that Eros is able to understand what happened. When you are a victim of some kind of trauma, or let's even not use the word victim, but if you have experienced some kind of trauma, it can be so difficult to talk about what happened. More so than even other people, you know, knowing it can be so difficult to just talk about it because it can be re-traumatizing to have to talk about it through all again. And it's such a nice feeling when you don't need to do that with somebody because they already know or they will, they're able to understand it in another way. It can be so helpful to not have to go through that. And I love that Persephone, when Eros understands that she's not able to vocalize anything, he says, just show me. And he immediately is on her wavelength, and he is immediately present and there with her. Yeah, it's a really, really beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm so glad that Persephone was able to have that care and that love from a friend. And there's so much more that we could say about this and that we would want to say, but something else that this conflicts with and that adds more additional stress to Persephone as a result of all this is her scholarship from TGOEM. As you said, she's a prospective member. One of the requirements for TGOEM is to be a virgin. And now Persephone, 
through no fault of her own, is no longer one. Yeah, she chooses to keep up the charade that she's still going to go through with it and that she still qualifies. And part of it's that she feels this is what she needs to do. This is what her mother has kind of groomed her to do. This is what she feels obligated to do. And this feeling of obligation drives Persephone forward to continue. Right. I think she feels tied to them because this was kind of her ticket out of staying at home. It was her way out. And in a way, she's kind of just exchanged one greenhouse for another, honestly. She, I think, does feel some measure of gratitude. Definitely gratitude towards TGOEM for giving her the opportunity, towards Artemis for taking her in. But at the same time, she is feeling suffocated. And I don't think she quite believes in TGOEM. I'm not sure that she ever fully believed or was on board with her mission. I think she felt that it was something she could do. And I think she is more and more throughout the season feeling less and less that way. That it's something she can do. And all of this definitely leaves her relationship with Demeter, her mom, very, very complicated. Because Demeter is hiding something from Persephone. We're not quite sure what it is. Right. Demeter is a goddess with a lot of secrets. She works very hard to conceal Persephone's active wrath. There's the whole fertility goddess question mark, which we'll talk about. And Demeter in general, I think, is very protective and shielding of Persephone, which I think speaks to a lot of Demeter's trauma from the war, I assume from other men as well, because a lot of what Demeter is protecting Persephone from is men. And it's not that Demeter is not wrong. I mean, we know what Apollo is like and we know what Zeus are like. So Demeter is absolutely not wrong in that assessment of men in, in their world. But at the same time, it does leave Persephone... A little bit vulnerable due to her being sheltered. Right. Vulnerable, sheltered, overprotected, which even Artemis sees when she goes to visit her in the forest as as a deer she sees that persephone can't even go into the woods by herself no she has to be accompanied by a flower nymph at all times which is pretty ridiculous she's a goddess she's a very powerful goddess but it just speaks to a lot of demeter's fears speaking of things that demeter is keeping from persephone <laughs> is she a fertility goddess or not that is a million dollar question it gets brought up by multiple people in this webtoon. Yeah, it does. What do you think about Persephone? Is she a fertility goddess? My take is yes. I think she's a fertility goddess. I mean, she's the goddess of spring. There's life and death involved with spring, and she herself, like, I think her curvaceousness is also intentional. It speaks to fertility, to all of those things. So... I think it makes perfect sense. I think she is a fertility goddess. And again, I'm not entirely sure what Demeter's agenda is here. Why she would be keeping that from Persephone. If that's like a measure to control her, to kind of hide the fact that she's a fertility goddess so that she would be qualified for TGOEM, that could be a theory. If it's something else that is yet to be covered, we... I don't know. But my take is she is definitely a fertility goddess. Do you have any thoughts on this? I don't. I agree with you. Alright, makes sense. Um, cool. I'm cool with that. 
<laughs> I joke, I joke. But we can talk about some of the other stuff that Demeter is kind of hiding that is part of the mysteries of Persephone. Like her name change, the act of wrath. I know you have some thoughts on this. Why the name Prosepina, bringer of death? Why the white butterflies, red eyes? What are your thoughts, Grady? I actually do have a theory about the red eyes. We've seen Persephone's red eyes on multiple occasions, and we've also seen red eyes in other gods as well. Eros when he was defending Persephone from Apollo, and Hades when he was talking about getting revenge on that photographer who snapped that tabloid photo of him and Persephone. So my theory is that the red eyes are kind of a, a raw emotional state that gods have. Sort of like an id, where it's less of your thinking kind of perceptive abilities, but it's more like a raw kind of emotion, like revenge, rage. Raw anger. Yeah, fear even as well. So that's kind of my theory. And then as for Persephone, having that mirror conversation with her red-eyed twin, I don't have any concrete theories on that, but it feels like she's doing so much work to distance herself from that part of herself that in, in some way it's coming out even stronger because she is suppressing it. As for the name change, I don't really have any solid concrete theories. I'm not quite sure, and I'm sort of waiting to have more information about that. I'm not as creative as some others in the Lore Olympus fandom, sadly. <laughs> so I'm sure you all who are listening and loving Lore Olympus have better theories than I do about the name change and, and all of that. Do you have any theories, Will? I don't. <laughs> I know, sadly, we are two uncreative <laughs> people here. <laughs> we'll be more than happy to read your takes, so. Definitely. But the act of wrath, though, I don't think it was as dramatic as... Thanatos, Thetis, and Minthi related to be, but I do think it was destructive. Well, it's heavily implied that her actions resulted in the loss of a significant amount of human souls. Mm -hmm. And she feels immensely guilty about it. Yes. Do you think that the reasoning for her act of wrath that was given at the end of season one, do you think that is the reason? I think so. Everything in the story so far points that that is the case, but we are still missing, at least in season one, still missing a lot of the essential pieces of the mystery. Right. We're also missing Persephone's perspective on all of this. Yes. We only really learn about all these other events through other characters and their lens. Mm -hmm. We see a little bit of it from Persephone's point of view, but we still don't get the full picture. Right, and we still need to hear that from Persephone, so I guess that's another thing that we'll get more insight on as season two progresses. But speaking of Persephone, it's important to look at the people around her, namely Eros and Artemis yes. tend to be Persephone's main support system in Olympus. Yeah, Artemis sees herself as almost a savior of sorts. She's the one who offers Persephone a place to live when it's very obvious to everyone else that Persephone does not want to commute to Olympus. And so Persephone ends up living with Artemis, and Artemis sees herself as not quite the protector or guardian, but kind of a steward of sorts for Persephone because Persephone is so unexperienced. Yeah, I could see that. I think that makes sense. I think 
in as much as she sees herself as possibly a you know savior a friend figure to persephone she kind of doesn't seem to know what to do with her i don't think she like this characterization of artemis seems to be somebody who is a little bit more of a loner she has an official title as being kind of a protector of maidens but this artemis seems less like a protector of maidens and more a, a protector of herself honestly because she does not take actions that would be very protective of or caring towards Persephone. All of Artemis's friendship gestures towards her are very surface level. Yeah, there's never a moment where she checks in with Persephone and says, or even asks, hey, how are you doing? Are you okay? She doesn't pick up on Persephone's distress after her encounter with Apollo. And she doesn't even really seem to realize that Persephone is not doing very well. Yeah, it's really interesting because I do genuinely believe, on one hand, that Artemis has good intentions and positive feelings towards Persephone and does see her as a friend and does care about her. But at the same time, there are just so many blind spots that Artemis has and... It's interesting to think about because how many of these blind spots are unintentional, that Artemis just does not realize certain things, and that when she does realize it, she'll have an appropriate and empathetic reaction towards it, and how much of it is Artemis having an inkling about something, but not pursuing the issue further because she figures that she it's not her place or it would be too difficult to do. Yeah, you chose an interesting word to use there, inkling, because I have a slightly different take. It seems to me that she is a little willfully ignorant, but also possibly a little bit blind to Persephone's struggles. Yeah, I think so. I think Artemis also strikes me as the kind of friend to not look too far below the surface. If she has enough information that you present at a surface level that you are fine, that you're happy... She won't question it further, I think. I think she'll take it as like, oh, they're fine, instead of really paying attention to someone's body language, really paying attention to things that if another person took a few minutes to really be present and take a look at, they would catch. Artemis, I think, does not quite have that capability yet, that emotional intelligence that Eros has, which we'll get into him. I don't think she has that quite. Um, she seems a little bit more dense about those kinds of things. She also does, you're right, she totally does engage in sort of willful ignorance. Persephone has a moment where she is fed up with Artemis not coming at her, but she, you know, Artemis is chastising her. And at the same time, she is being hypocritical by allowing Apollo in the house. And Persephone says, you know, let me tell you something about your brother. But she's unable to complete the thought. She doesn't want to hurt Artemis. And Artemis thinks about that but she is not brave enough to pursue that. Nope, she does not entertain that idea. No, because I genuinely believe this. I think it's easier for her not to. And I think she's also, you know, it contributes to her kind of illusion that Persephone is doing well. If she didn't say anything out loud, then that means nothing's wrong. Yes. And one thing that I love about Lord Olympus in general is how well it represents its gods as people. And this kind of person exists. And they're fairly common, unfortunately. And I love that Lord Olympus 
takes the time to explore this and really give its full attention and care to depict this kind of person very, very well. I completely agree. It really does a great job in exploring the full scope of, of humanity, almost, which is a funny word to use because we are talking about gods, but the gods, Greek gods, are very fallible and very human in a lot of ways in their characterization and personalities. And that is exactly what Lore Olympus does. It has the same spirit. And Artemis, Apollo, Minthe, all of these flawed characters speak to the human condition. On the flip side of Artemis, who is unattentive and willfully ignorant, there's Eros, who is, thankfully for all of us reading Lore Olympus, <laughs> exists in this webtoon. Otherwise, it would be a very different webtoon. Yeah, that's something we were talking about that you brought up, which I thought was so fascinating because I had not thought of it this way before. But Eros's presence goes such a long way in contributing to the heart of the webtoon because his presence not only brings much-needed levity, he's a very funny, kind of relatable character, he also brings a lot of heart which I appreciate so much because he's not a throwaway comedic character. He has a valuable presence in the emotional experience of this webtoon. Yeah, he is present. He is caring. He's very loving. He has a touch of humanity when he's speaking with Persephone. And he understands what's going on because he takes the time to listen and understand. Absolutely. He is incredibly emotionally intelligent. I love that he provides Persephone with this unconditional love and support. Like you said, I don't know where we would be. We would be in a much darker webtoon if we did not have Eros there to provide that support to Persephone and be the presence that he is. He really just does whatever he can to help or make her feel comfortable. And that's not to say that we necessarily started in this place. When we first meet Eros, he is helping to abduct Persephone his mom is jealous and he is helping to do her bidding, which is problematic. It is not great that he did that. Thankfully, he fully apologizes and he does become a very safe place for Persephone to go. He becomes someone that she trusts completely, which is really wonderful for her, especially being such a newcomer to Olympus. Having someone like Eros around makes it feel more comfortable and makes it feel more like home. Yeah, that isn't to say Eros doesn't have his own things going on. As you said earlier, he does his mom's bidding because of his connection to a mortal woman, Psyche. Right. Initially, Psyche is very charmed and taken away by Eros, but she listens to her sisters and sort of a mild tragedy strikes as a result of that. Right, and Eros unfortunately has a broken heart from it. And Aphrodite visits Psyche afterwards and bestows on her a strange and elaborate punishment, which basically means that Psyche gets turned into the nymph Ampelus, and I know that she's got something in plan for Eros. Eros, however, does not seem to realize, despite other characters in the, and other gods in the story recognizing that Ampelus is not, in fact, a nymph. She is mortal. Eros seems to be blind to this so far, which is kind of a funny thing, and it is a very human thing to be very emotionally intelligent and capable of helping and solving other people's problems, but being very... <laughs> blind to your own. Right. So, he does have his own stuff going on. I'll be, I'll be excited to see what happens to them in season two. Yeah, me too. 
let's get to talking about Hades by himself. Yes, and his journey. Because he goes through a really great journey throughout season one. Yeah. Hades has a lot of things he has to work through that he does get through some of. He gets help in others. And he makes a lot of good progress. It's great because we can clearly see the difference in Hades and his self-esteem from the beginning of season one to the end of season one. In the beginning, he just had this big lack of self-esteem and self-confidence, you know, and I think it's best exemplified in the letter that he writes to Persephone that he, that his therapist <laughs> asked him, that his therapist asks him to write. Um, he writes a letter to her and then he basically, in it, he acknowledges that he has maybe these feelings or he feels drawn to her, but he cannot act upon them, etc., etc. And he decides that he's going to give Minthy a, a proper chance at a relationship, him and Minthy. And in the end of season one, he feels so much less shame and he feels much more love for himself. And it's very, very clear in that difference. And I love that we got to see him through that journey as well, because self-esteem and self-confidence are things that a lot of men face too. And I love that we got a window into Hades dealing with that and coming to a better place with himself and feeling more love for himself and holding the people around him to kind of a better standard. So I really love that we got to see Hades' development. It makes me happy that he is much happier now. And I think it's a really wonderful thing. Yeah, and one of the things that he has to work through is a sort of childhood trauma from his upbringing with Kronos and Rhea, and also the war with the Titans. We don't get into too much detail about it, but he is there, he is present. But more importantly, the smallness he feels within himself at times is really present in the beginning of the story and becomes much less present as he takes more agency in his life and he makes more meaningful and fulfilling decisions for himself. Absolutely. And I think part of that is just developing a little bit socially because I think his trauma and experiences have kind of led him to be a little bit stunted in his development. Yeah, and I can't think of a better way this is showcased in his relationship with Minty in how and why he justifies staying with her. Part of it is that he does feel very lonely, and that plays a big role in it, but also he feels that this is the correct thing to do. Very similar to Persephone in Stain in TGOEM, but for Hades, he feels that this is something he needs to do, it's something that's long overdue for himself, and he doesn't quite have the vocabulary to do otherwise. What do you mean it feels like it's long overdue for himself? Overdue might have been the wrong word, but... It's a want that he's been wanting filled for a very long time, and he feels like now's the time. And until meeting and interacting with Persephone, feels like he's just been dragging his feet, which is why I think he feels so pressured. I think I can understand what you mean. Hades is definitely lonely, and he wants companionship. He said as much to Hera. He wants to be married. He wants companionship. I think as a function of his loneliness, he's kind of thrown himself into his work, and... Whether it's a fear of rejection, whether it's an awkwardness, or he doesn't want to deal with the stigma that his role as king of the underworld lends him, he's kind of put off marriage or seriously pursuing companionship, probably for a while, or hasn't felt maybe even that he deserves it, 
uh, just because of his low self-esteem. And I think with Minthi, he just felt like that might be as good as it got, and he was just going to settle. Yeah, I think you're right. I think he definitely was aiming to just settling. And it's pretty clear from the ring he has that he was going to propose to her. And the way Minthi reacts to finding the ring is really telling about her as a person. Yes. Minthi is an interesting character. She is very, very insecure. And she is kind of aware of her own insecurities. But she can't help but let them manifest in sometimes cruel, sometimes nasty, but ultimately self-destructive ways. Right. This is such an interesting question because I think you and I have different opinions on this of how self-aware is Minthi, how much awareness does she have of her own tendencies, because the webtoon has shown her to kind of acknowledge that she has these tendencies and she even has thoughts of like, why am I behaving this way? Because the webtoon shows Minthi to have some cognizance over her own tendency. She knows that she behaves a certain way, and she even has thoughts of, why are you doing this? Why am I like this? So my take on this is that Minthi is self-aware of her own tendencies to an extent. She has an awareness that this behavior is wrong, that she's mistreating this person that she actually cherishes, that she doesn't want to be pushing away, and that kind of behavior is not correct. It definitely isn't. She has a strong sense of denial whenever she does get close to the truth of her own behavior inside her own head. It's like a very immediate kind of automatic pushback of denial and defensiveness and sort of protection from criticism of herself, at least in her view. And her immediate reaction is to blame externally. I get the impression that she has a hard time accepting the truth about herself because it would feel too bad to see herself in that light. It is much easier for her to blame others and to lash out, and that is her first reaction. She immediately gets angry upon finding the ring, and when they finally talk about it later, she at first is a little sad about the whole thing, but then she just flips the switch and is just angry with Hades. She mm -hmm. says, why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. and it's even a little sadder because she breaks down and starts crying because there's a moment where these insecurities come out and she's lashing out at him while feeling sad and hurt at the same time about the whole thing and it's this kind of melting pot of emotion that Minthi carries with her in that scene yeah, that is something that I find interesting about her because nearly every confrontation that she has with Hades where she feels a different kind of emotion, whether it's shame, whether it's insecurity or anything else, she just always reacts with anger. She always, that's her tendency is to lash out. Like when Minthi missed the dinner date that she had set up with Hades, she had suggested it, she missed it, and then when Hades and Minthi kind of see each other again, she erupts in anger. And he's kind of like, aren't I supposed to be the one who's upset here? It's very interesting. Yeah, and it's a little sad to see her erupt in anger all the time, because it's not what she wants, as you said. Her behavior is self-destructive, and Hades at the start doesn't really know what to do. 
and so their relationship just kind of continues until it doesn't. Right, and I think in the beginning, Hades had less tools to really recognize that this was unhealthy for him, and I think Persephone was actually a big shift or big reason that he was able to make that shift because she, as we've established before, there's a lot of care that Persephone and Hades show to each other, and Persephone shows him love and offers him dignity in their relationship that Minthi really doesn't. She respects him, she cares about him, and him feeling that care from her is something that helps him come to terms with himself and feel okay and embrace asking and wanting more from his relationships. And I think his interactions with Persephone, even when they're not romantic or flirtatious, they show him that he can ask for more. And his breakup with Minthi kind of marks that evolution. He has more love for himself now, and he's not going to return back to a relationship where he doesn't feel loved every day. Yeah, absolutely. Hades isn't the only one who deals with someone who's problematic. Persephone also has to deal with someone who is, shall we say, toxic and unhealthy and downright abusive. Right, Mr. Apollo himself. Yeah, if this was not a clean podcast, I would have some very, very rude words to say. Very choice words. <laughs> very, very choice words. Right. And so the thing is, we all know Apollo is terrible. There's a very clear understanding in the fandom of the kind of character that Apollo is. What I think we can do here is analyze a little bit of his character traits and his personality to offer some insight into his behaviors. Yes. Apollo is a narcissist. He is unempathetic. He has a very positive image of himself. He's very insecure in a lot of ways and has to take down other people or get back at people to make himself feel better. And he is very, very, very selfish. Yes, he's very self-centered. Everything is kind of revolving around him, you know? He is the god of the sun. And he cares about outward and external appearances, and he does a good job of maintaining these with other people. Yeah, he is naturally a little bit charming at the outset, but some characters pick up that there's something a little off from the beginning. Persephone is one of them. Mm -hmm. Eros is another. Hera also knows. And I think that's a really important thing to mention because Hera's the first person to know what Apollo did to Persephone. And what Apollo did was a result of his selfish desire for gratification in the moment and blatant, uncaring attitude towards Persephone. Right. He believed that that was what should happen in that moment. And so that is kind of how he approached that situation. Mm-hmm. There was no care, no consideration. There was no even thought into what did Persephone want. It was only about what Apollo wanted. Right. And there was something cold, I think, to just in the photos that he took of her, especially. Because that, to me, shows kind of a premeditation of thought of, I'm going to use this to get my way. It's like from a, not only a self-centered perspective, but like from a using like a usury perspective of how can I use this situation? How can I use this person to get my way? 
uh, how can I manipulate this? And that's what he does. He takes the photos, he holds them over her later to manipulate things into getting his way. Yeah. Part of the reason why we call him a narcissist is because he views people in this way. People are tools, people are meant to be used or discarded when they're not useful. Right. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, Persephone was useful. Right. And for Apollo, this doesn't just stop at Persephone. Mm -hmm. He starts chatting up Daphne, who is a flower nymph, who is one of Persephone's friends. And, and who looks like Persephone. A little bit, yes. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely does it, though, to, in a way, take revenge. But it's less revenge and more he wants to hurt Persephone. And that's the really malicious part. He's doing this maliciously he wants to hurt persephone he doesn't care what she thinks and in that moment he takes her words of protest saying you shouldn't be doing this and goes well i'm just doing what you told me the manipulation comes out the gaslighting comes out he gaslights her so much in that conversation and he twists all of her words back at her it's pretty horrible mm-hmm Speaking of the gaslighting and twisting, that's something that is a very key fixture of their first confrontation, actually, because that's a key moment that the series had been building up to, right? Where Persephone has this interaction where Apollo assaults her, and then we go through most of season one with her dealing with that trauma and coming to terms with it and trying to figure out how to deal with it, and she finally confronts Apollo, not initiated by her, it's something he goes after, saying we need to talk, but she confronts him, and she makes it clear in as many ways as she can. And she says this too, I've made it clear to you as many ways as I can that I am not interested in you, that I do not like you, like, all of these things to clarify her position. And it's just, it is almost fascinating to watch because he is just almost incapable of listening to her. And at any point when he might start to acknowledge how she feels, he immediately reverts back to his usual tactics of building up himself by talking over Persephone and not acknowledging and gaslighting her. Yeah, he even says things like, no, you like me. We did this thing. You like me. That's the key phrase he uses because he's trying to convince her of something she clearly doesn't believe. Mm -hmm. And it's not even a I'm trying to convince you. It's a, no, this is your reality. This is how you feel. Yeah, absolutely. And it's almost as if her personhood is not exactly important to him. That's not what's significant to him. It almost feels like she's kind of a placeholder. Anyone could be in the position that he's put her in. She just happens to be that person that he's put there. And he kind of makes that clear to her where, you know, he's saying all these things, you know, you like me, you know, I like you. He's built up this narrative that actually does not consider her at all. Yeah, it's almost a little delusional. Very delusional, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. But speaking of better things, let's cover Hera a little bit. Yeah, as mentioned earlier, Hera's the first person to pick up what happened to Persephone. And when she finds out, she is immediately very, very sad, but also quite angry. Right. She, I think, it just has tears streaming down her face. That's what I remember from that panel. And from that moment on, she is on a mission to find out who did this. And 
I think part of the reason why she feels so strongly about this is part to do with her own husband, Zeus. Yeah, Zeus and Hera are in some deeply ingrained relationship patterns. It's really interesting. There's a lot of toxicity. There's a lot of codependency, even, I would say, between the two of them. Not that Hera's personality is very dependent on Zeus, but for Hera, her reputation, which is a goddess of marriage, makes her dependent on Zeus in that she is irrevocably tied to him. I don't think she could separate herself from Zeus without that harming her and her reputation. Speaking of the deeply ingrained patterns that this couple is enmeshed in, though, one of them is just constant fighting. This is something we see when Persephone and Hades visit Zeus and Hera, and they have dinner with the couple. Hera and Zeus, just at the drop of a hat, start fighting in front of Persephone and Hades. And Persephone later on turns to Hades and she asks, are they always like this? And Hades is kind of like, you know, I'm ashamed to say that I don't even notice it anymore because it is just so common and everyone around them has gotten used to it too, which is kind of a horrible thing. This is not how a healthy relationship is. No, 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 it isn't. No, and there's so many, I think there's a lot of instances too of Zeus gaslighting, full-on gaslighting Hera and just being really toxic and horrible. Especially when Hera confronts him about his infidelity. That whole exchange honestly made me so uncomfortable because of how much he was gaslighting her. And she was, like, incredulous at him because this is a situation where she should be mad, and why was he getting mad at her? Hera also, I imagine, feels a bit trapped by her circumstances because she has the status and reputation of being the marriage goddess, and she feels she has to deal with Zeus, that's just a fact of her life, because she wants to maintain this outward status. Yeah, definitely. I think she does the best she can, but she can't ever leave. Yeah, and some of the ways she deals with this is obviously by getting into arguments, expressing her frustration with Zeus, but she also does other things behind Zeus's back, like have an affair with Hades. Yeah, Hades and Hera have a relationship or had one in the past for probably a while and yes their relationship is an affair and they are cheating on Hera's marriage they as a couple are full of a lot more care and tenderness towards each other than Zeus and Hera are they clearly care about each other they offer each other comfort and this goes also for their platonic relationship Hera has a big soft spot for Hades and Hades clearly cares about her as well. But Hera also neglects Hades in the marriage department. And he says so as much to her. You know that I wanted to get married, but you neglected me because I l remind you of your limitations as a marriage goddess. Because there is stigma with his role as king of the underworld. No goddess wants to marry him. And that's not a great look for Hera if she can't hitch him off. Yeah, Hera becomes a little bit more invested in Persephone and Hades. I think she's the biggest Hades and Persephone shipper. You can let us know if we're wrong about that. <laughs> but she definitely tries her best to put them in situations where they'd be together. Or right. Even forced proximity and Hera assigning Persephone to the underworld. Nepotism. Woohoo! <laughs> Yay, Olympus! 
No, she definitely is. She's initially disapproving of the pair because she thinks that Haiti is taking advantage of Persephone. She cares about and feels very protective of Persephone as the daughter of one of her close friends. But as soon as she understands the sincerity of Hades's affection and emotions towards her, she changes her mind and she sees the two as a good couple and she sees Persephone as a worthy queen of the underworld. Yeah. Hera is such a great character because of how well fleshed out she is. And that's something that Lower Olympus does really well as a whole. All of its characters are really dimensional. None of them feel very flat even if their motivations may seem shallow, and they really embody a lot of human problems. Absolutely. There's a lot of care put, you can tell, in the characterization of everyone in this webtoon, and which is very difficult to do with a sprawling of a world as Lore Olympus. We have so many different story threads. We have Eros and Psyche, we have Hera and Zeus, we have Ares and Aphrodite, who we haven't even mentioned in this episode. We have... Hades, Persephone, their individual endeavors, Thetis, Thanatos, Minthi, like so many characters that we had to really narrow down who we wanted to talk to in this podcast. And we honestly easily could have made a second episode of this. There's just so much in Lore Olympus to talk about, which we may do in the future. We'll see. So the characterization here is really top notch. And that's something that Rachel does an incredible job of. And it's just a great webtoon in general. Both Will and I really love reading this. We love analyzing this. We love discussing it week by week. Yeah, this is a very rare thing for a webtoon for there not to be any chapters that feel slow. Or feel like they're setting up for something bigger to come in a following chapter. It feels like Rachel has always got these different threads working, even if you don't always see the end result of something in one chapter, it's always building up to something. And I think that may be the benefit of having multiple storylines, is that you can always have payoff in some kind of storyline, even as another one is being set up. Is there anything else we want to close with? I think that wraps up our Lore Olympus season one analysis for now. We would love to do a part two to get into all the different characters and stories that we weren't able to cover this time around. Let us know, you guys, if this is something you'd like to see. We'd be happy to do it. But for now, we'll be signing off. Thank you very much for listening to our episode on Lore Olympus. You can find us on socials at The Webtoon Room on Instagram and Twitter. And feel free to email us at thewebtoonroom at gmail.com. We love hearing about your theories, your favorite ships, and anything else you want to talk to us about. Anyway, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week.